Thanks, Raj. Uh, morning, everyone. It's uh, so lucky to be here uh, with you guys. This feels like a bit of a home away from home uh, for us. We, uh, my wife, are married up, like you heard, uh, to Claire. And one of the benefits of marrying Claire was that her family have a holiday house in uh, Bloberg, uh, Tableview. So for the last 20-something years, we've been coming and having our uh, long summer holiday down here. So I feel like Bloberg Table View is like my home away from home. Uh, sorry, give me one second here. Technology. Um, and we've, we've only been here a couple of times. Years ago when you guys were at the Table View School or something, like yeah, some of you may have been around there. Um, and we were here for Christmas, I think near Christmas this last year, and it's so lucky to see new faces and to be with you um, this morning. So it feels like a local spot for me. Uh, we love this part of the country. We've got so many good memories here. And um, yeah, like Rog said, it's been such a great week. Um, I know that sometimes people are skeptical of uh, us pastors. You know, we jump up and we say nice things about each other, uh, you know, and like we have to return the favor and I have to find something nice to say about Rog and Nikki, you know, and I've been, I've been sweating about it the whole week thinking, what, what can I come up with? But uh, I mean, if you guys have been around here, you guys know uh, these guys, and they just uh, you guys are such a lovely uh, family, and it's been so lucky to actually stay in your home and hang out with you and the girls, and uh, we love these guys, and uh, you, you're privileged to, to have them as leaders here and, and have them serving Christ amongst you. They are, they're the real deal. Uh, I have the privilege of getting around a little bit, and I just want to assure you that these guys are the real deal. They love Jesus, and they love this church, and you guys, so... Uh, I'm, I'm probably telling you some of you stuff you already know, but if you're visiting, then like, uh, yeah, I don't get paid to say nice things about the Oaks who work here. Uh, st- stop looking around, just settle down here and get stuck in. This is a lacquer like like church. Okay, I'm here to preach the Bible. Um, so once you open up a Bible or a phone or something like that to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Um, Actually, we're going to spend most of our time looking at Hebrews 11, but we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12. And if you know Hebrews chapter 12, you'll know why. Uh, if you don't, don't worry about it. It's, there's not going to be tests and stuff after this. Um, I don't know if these verses are up on the screen, but so we're only going to look at a couple of... Oh, there. Hey, well done, Oaks. I didn't give them any slides, and they rustled this together in no time. So what a church, eh? Let me read uh, these first two verses, and then I'm going to explain where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 12 from 1 to 2, and then I'm going to pray. Therefore... Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray together with me as we come to God's word this morning? Father, we are so grateful that you have not only spoken, but you continue to speak. And as our Father, you love us, you long for the best for us. We're so grateful this morning for the the person and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who you've sent amongst us. And one of the things that you said is that the Holy Spirit would teach us. 
he would lead us into truth. He would, be, he would be your voice to us. And we pray that as we come to your word now, that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would teach us this morning. We aren't, uh, we aren't bright enough, we're not sharp enough to see what we need to see unless you reveal yourself to us. And we just want to say collectively that our hearts long to hear from you this morning. We have, many, we have many longings, we have many desires, but I pray that you would help us collectively now uh, through the work of your spirit to focus our minds and our hearts and our attention on you and to receive from you living words that do our souls so much good this morning. You've planned work in advance to do amongst us. And I pray you would find us receptive. Make our hearts now ready to receive life-giving words from the Father who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are, there are a couple of ways that these verses have been interpreted. I'm going to, um, full disclosure, I'm not going to deal with all of these verses. We're actually just going to look at that first little section this morning. So then, uh, with endurance, let's... Also, no, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. That's, we're going to zoom in on that, the great, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And there are a couple of ways that this has been interpreted uh, over the years, and you have to forgive me if you've heard a sermon that's different to the one I'm going to preach. I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus, but uh, the, one, the one way this has been interpreted is I've called it the Comrades Marathon w approach. Um, I'm so interested. Did anyone run the Comrades Marathon? Yeah. No one. Yo, yo. Rog, you alone here as a runner, but you're a bunch of slackers in this church. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, well, I was going to say, well done if you ran, but I need to edit that and cross that out there. Okay. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm not a runner. I used to run, and now I only run if I'm being chased. Uh, and even then, I need, I'm, I'm weighing up like, if it catches me, will it kill me? I don't like running anymore kind of thing. Um, so I don't, Roger, you know, he's a, built like a racing snake. He weighs about 28 Ks and off he goes up the mountains and stuff like that. Um, I'm getting distracted. The Comrades Marathon, if you've ever been to the Comrades Marathon, um, obviously none of you have run it, but you've been as a supporter. It's such a vibe. It is such a vibe. I, can, I recommend going to watch. It is like a, a sea of humanity all shouting and yelling. The Oaks have got signs and they're supporting people, especially near the end. You know, that's when they need most of the support. At the, at the start, it's a bit lame. But as they get near the end, I mean, there are people in bad condition there. Bad, you know, you've seen them on the TV. They're, they're like running. The line's over there and they're like sort of running sideways towards the line. And it's heartbreaking and people are falling over and throwing up. And I mean, it's like a really earthy experience. Maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's a beautiful thing of, of people cheering on the absolute random strangers and helping them get over the line. It's like, come on, you can do it. You know, like, I like to exercise alone. I don't like being shouted at when I'm exercising. If I was running the race and someone started shouting at me, like I'd summon the last of my strength to punch them in the face <laughs> and then like probably fall over and give up on the race kind of thing. I don't like that kind of thing. But it works, man. At the comrades, you see just new energy put into people because this is just like this great cloud of witnesses around them, spurring them on, and they, and they get over the line. And some people think that that's kind of what's here. This great cloud of witnesses are watching us from heaven, and they're cheering us on this morning. They're, they're, they're watching Common Ground Bloberg. They're like, go, Bloberg, give us a B, give us an L. give us an O. Give us a, is it you? I, I, I always... 
the spelling's all weird. Like it's A-A-U, something. What happened? Okay, anyway. Getting distracted again, you know. Like they've got their arms around each other. Like, we've got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. How about you? And then we're on earth and we're like, yes, we've got the Spirit. And there's this backwards and forwards, like, weird thing. And our I, you can maybe already understand, I don't think that that's true. I think that those in heaven are blissfully unaware of what's happening here. Blissfully unaware of what's happening here. One day we'll be with them, but now they're not looking down from heaven cheering us on. They are blissfully unaware of what's going on here. I think they're going to be surprised uh, when some of us arrive there. Um, I know that there is a shock, an absolute shock awaiting my grade 11 maths teacher when I get to heaven and she sees me wander in there kind of thing. She's just going to fall down at the feet of Jesus and be like, how on earth did that get in here? Like, I was not a Christian at school. I was a lot of hard work. Uh, and I thought she was the Antichrist. <laughs> I honestly did. Uh, I mean, I think the feeling was mutual. I think, you know, it was... Uh, and she's going to be amazed that I, in the mercy of God, ended up there. But I think at the moment, they're not watching us. The call is for us to look to them. They're not looking at us. The call of the Scriptures is that we... We look to them. They're not watching our lives. We're thinking about their lives and drawing courage and encouragement and model and example. And, and we're witnessing the testimony of God's faithfulness over their lives. They're not spectators. That word is not spectators. We're not surrounded by such a great cloud of spectators. We're surrounded by witnesses. Witnesses have seen something, guys. They've seen something. They've experienced something. They have something to say. Witnesses have to testify to something that's happened. And the witnesses who've gone before us, this great cloud, there's not one or two, there's a great cloud of witnesses who testify to your life this morning of the faithfulness of God. And they're all saying the same thing. And what's wonderful is that they're still speaking. If you have a look in Hebrews 11, if you have a Bible or you're taking notes, Hebrews 11 verse 4, this wonderful chapter on these kind of heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11 verse 4, it says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. He still speaks through his faith. I mean, we're talking thousands of years ago, and we look at his faith in God and what does the scripture say? He's still speaking. This is the wonder of the scriptures, the wonder of having this great cloud of witnesses that they're still speaking to us and they're all testifying about the same thing, that God is a faithful God. I wanna look at three things this morning that the witnesses declare. There are tons of other things, but uh, we're just gonna deal with three. The first one that the witnesses remind us of is this, that he is worthy that he is worthy. Have a look in Hebrews 11 from verse 24 to 26. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. 
explicit say about Moses? Moses made a calculation. Moses made a calculation. I can stay in Pharaoh's house, and what I'll inherit here are the treasures of Egypt. And, and that's a lot, by the way. I mean, that's a significant thing. Growing up in Pharaoh's house, all of Egypt's treasures would have passed to that man. And he says he makes a calculation. And what's the calculation? That, that suffering reproach, hostility for the sake of Christ, there's Christ in the Old Testament, for the sake of Christ is worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he's looking past all of it to the reward that would come for his faith in God. He's made a calculation. Guys, he's, he's weighed something up and he's made a decision. I'm leaving Pharaoh's house. I'm walking away from the treasure, all the world's treasures, as it were, and I'm heading towards what? Not just nothing else. I'm heading towards persecution and hardship for the sake of Jesus. Why? Because he's worthy. Because Jesus is worthy. That's what the witnesses tell us. I'm going to ask some questions as we go through this morning. They help me to stay focused and help me concentrate. Have you made, have you made that calculation around the worth of Jesus? What other things do you love? We, we're all complicated people, aren't we? I don't know, maybe you're not that as complicated as me. But I find in my own heart disordered desires and wavering desires. I love Jesus and I love a lot of other things. And I find things at war in me and have to recalculate again and again. Is he worth saying yes to again and again and saying no to these things? What... What has following Jesus cost you? What have you had to give up to follow Jesus? I know we're a diverse group of people here. For some of you, you think, you know, I haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. I'm still looking in. You're scaring me. I hope it's not going to cost me too much. I want to give you full disclosure. Here's an advert. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. But the witnesses remind you that it's worth it. You may not be there yet, but I do want to let you know that when you cross over that line, he does demand everything, and it is a million times worth it. But following Jesus, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It's costly. It's costly. What does it cost you? Has it cost you family members? Has it cost you some comfort? Has it cost you some of your reputation? What does it cost you? I became a believer not long after I encountered that um, wonderful maths teacher in grade 11. The Lord poured out mercy on my life and I've had the privilege of following him since then. And I've had the privilege of serving the Lord, being a you know, professional Christian for a while, um, planning a church 10 years ago, as Rog said, and, and the hardest thing I've ever had to do is plant a church and lead a church. And we, as we come to our 10-year anniversary, Claire and I were talking about, hey, what does it cost us as a, as, a, as a couple and as a family to stay faithful to Jesus in this? And man, it's a long list, eh? It's a really long list. It's cost us our best friendships. It's cost us real health struggles. It's cost us financially. It's cost us again and again and again. And I'll be honest with you, there's been times... Uh, over the last 10 years particularly, where I have wondered, like, 
I, I don't think this is worth it. I just want to live a normal life. <laughs> I don't want all of this. I love you, Jesus, but man, all of this stuff is just hectic, man. I, I don't know if this is worth it. And because God is kinder than I am, again and again, he's brought people along my path and into my life to speak truth and to right side me up and remind me that he is worth it. He's worth it, and he's not just a little bit worth it, he's worth way more than anything I would ever give up for him. It's worth suffering for the sake of Christ and more than any of the treasures of Egypt. Moses learned that story. And guys, whatever you might be struggling with this morning, in terms of your faithful following of Jesus, the witnesses want to remind you that he's worth it. He's worth giving up everything. He's worth you losing everything to faithfully follow. You can't outgive God. You can't be kinder to him than he is to you. It's worth giving up everything because he is glorious and wonderful. It doesn't mean it's not going to be tough. It's going to be tough. If it's tough, I would say you're probably doing something correct. If it's super easy, you may want to have a look at things. And I know, I'm not, I'm not the kind of like, oh, it's always so hectic, like Christianity is like Bear grills, kind of like, unless you're suffering and lost somewhere on a mountain, you know you're not doing it right. Like, God does give us seasons of peace and grace and ease, absolutely. It's not always like hectic. Thankfully, hey, I mean, everyone would just tap out like, thanks, I'm done. But it is tough, folks. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. And it's not, and it's not just for the Oaks who are in ministry, who are leading churches and stuff, that it's tough. It's tough for Christians. It's tough for what we call the garden variety Christians, just like regular, you find them anywhere, kind of believers like you, Oaks, who love Jesus, you come to church, you serve. It's hard for you to stay faithful, to follow Him in obedience and sacrifice and to love Him with your whole heart. There's pressures. The world's trying to squish you into a conformity that looks nothing like Jesus. And you know this, man. Some of you go to the office still, you know? Most people work remotely, but some of you still see your colleagues, and you go around, and there's, there's pressure from people to not follow faithfully. The world is not clapping for us as we faithfully follow Jesus. They're jeering and sneering and laughing and mocking you. Say, so what on earth are you doing? Making significant decisions that affect your future financial prosperity because you want to faithfully follow Jesus. I had a discussion with a guy who was part of our church, and it shook me. He got offered a massive position um, somewhere like in the Middle East, and he turned it down. And I was part of a group of guys, other businessmen who he was chatting with, and he was explaining to them why he turned it down. He did some research, and he realized there was nothing um, church-wise there for him. And as he prayed about it, he prayed. He went to a week of praying and fasting, got others to pray. He says, I feel like my season at this church isn't done, that God's still got stuff for me to do with these guys. And so I'm saying no to that, and I'm saying yes to this. And I know, I know that saying no to that closes a whole bunch of doors. Closes a whole bunch of doors for him now and maybe into the future. Suffering reproach for the sake of Christ is worth more than the treasures of Egypt, guys. We need to get that. I want to remind you, I don't want to make light of the sufferings of, that you're suffering with. I don't want to make light of them, but I do want to remind you of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. This is what he says. Therefore, we do not give up. We do not give up. Even though our outer person has been destroyed, our inner person has been renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction 
is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Sometimes the, the, the afflictions don't feel momentary and light. They feel incredibly heavy and eternal. But the the truth of the scriptures is that they are momentary and light. And what are they doing? They are achieving for us an incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Guys, if you're going through a tough time, if, you, if you're struggling in your walk with God and you feel like things are against you or you're just battling to get things together, this is what's busy happening. Outwardly, you're wasting away, but inwardly, God is renewing you day by day and he's achieving in you an eternal weight of glory that one day you're going to run into. And my hope is today that God would give you grace to keep on running, to have your eyes fixed on what is unseen, not on what is seen, because your eyes lie to you. Your eyes will lie to you every day. And we need grace from God to see the unseen, to see how real God is and the reality of the eternal things so that we don't give up. The second thing the witnesses remind us of, not only is he worthy, but that he is faithful. He is faithful. In Hebrews 11, you know what we see? We see the imperfect faith of imperfect people in a perfect Savior. And I don't know about you, if you feel like you have imperfect faith, I do. I feel very imperfect in my faith. Um, The first thing that you see and that Hebrews 11 reminds us of is that God is faithful in our weakness. Some of you feel your weakness this morning. It's in front of your eyes. You, you, you're, you're sitting here this morning um, covered again with a new wave of shame and regret and guilt. You're so in touch with your weakness, you find it difficult to worship God and you wonder if God's gonna give up on you. But you're here. Well done for being here even though you feel like that. Some of us are very in touch with our weakness. Some of us need to get more in touch with our weaknesses. You're not, you don't have eyes open on how you are uniquely weak because we, we are all uniquely able to be tempted in different ways. And I think unless you have your eyes open on your particular weaknesses, you don't have a battle plan to bring yourself under the grace of God for his strengthening work. And you, you can get taken out easily. You can get derailed. But these witnesses, this list of heroes, the heroes of our faith that we hear of in Hebrews 11, I want to remind you of some of them. I want to remind you of some of them so you feel like in good company. Noah, Noah the drunkard. Noah the drunkard. Do you know, remember that story? We don't have time to go into all these stories. I just want to remind you of some of the highlights of their lives. Low lights, real. Noah the drunk. Abraham the liar. Jacob the deceiver. Moses the murderer. Is, are these oaks that you would put on your A-team, your Christian A-team, if you could pick the Hall of Faith heroes? Huh? Gideon, the serial doubter. David, the adulterer slash murderer. You remember, maybe you don't, God's testimony of David is what? This is a man after my own heart. He also coincidentally happened to be a man after his neighbor's wife. 
and I'm not throwing David under the bus, I don't mean to denigrate David's legacy, but th that is in the Bible. I didn't come up with that. I'm not gossiping about it. It's there in glorious, not glorious, detail. Let's just use the word detail. It's there in detail, a full picture of who David is. Man after God's own heart. Ooh, hey, Bathsheba. You and David should feel like friends because you and I exist with hearts that are divided. Hearts after God, amen, we love him. He's captured our hearts, we love him, and yet we see at work in us sometimes this kind of like, hey, my neighbor's wife doesn't look too bad. And that lives within us. And like I said, we have all of these, these unique temptations, and the Bible is happy not to gloss over them and to paint all the heroes of faith as these perfect people. I think it invites us in to their weakness so that you can bring your own weakness and say, hey, God is still faithful in the midst of weakness. Rahab was a prostitute. She's listed in the hall of faith heroes. Guys, I wanna remind you this morning, there's one old Puritan quote said this, that God is able to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. God, the witnesses remind us that God is able to fulfill his purposes through weak people through you and I. With all of our weakness, it's not that we delight in our weakness. We don't delight in our weakness. We don't stay in our weakness. God is able to transform our weakness and make us strong and, and change us from one degree of glory to another. But I don't want you to feel that because you suffer from weakness, you're off the team. God is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Here's a reminder for you this morning. God is not surprised by your weakness. He's not like, you know, calling you to something, he's like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot what they're like. The Bible says he knows how you're made. He remembers that they are dust. You don't surprise God in your weakness. You're not taking him, it's not shocking to him. He knows who you are and he knows what you're capable of. And the witnesses remind us of what? That he remains faithful when we are faithless. When our grip slips, what is our only comfort and our hope? Is that we're held by one whose grip never slips. And that his grip on you is stronger than your grip on him. That's what the Bible teaches, that his grip on you is stronger than your grip on him. So our weakness doesn't necessarily disqualify us, our imperfect faith in the midst of that. The witness tell us that God is faithful. The second thing it shows us under this, not only is he faithful in our weakness, but he's faithful regardless of the outcome. He's faithful regardless of the outcome of your life. Let's have a look here, verse 33 of chapter 11, describing some of these people, some of these heroes of faith. What happened to them? It says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mightily, mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Amazing, isn't it? You read that list, you think, sign me up for that. Yeah, I wanna be part of that like, crowd of people. Like, hey, God, do that kind of jazz in my life. I also wanna be part of the resurrection vibes, put foreign armies to flight, um, 
conquer kingdoms. Amazing. But it keeps going, doesn't it? It doesn't stop there. It keeps going. And it says this, other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they may gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on, the, on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The message of these witnesses is what? That it doesn't matter how your life turns out. He is still faithful. And friends, I want to remind you that we don't get to choose how God will glorify himself through your life. You don't get to choose how God chooses to glorify himself through your life. For some, you're going to grow old. Have your grandkids around you. Have a wonderful thriving ministry. Life's going to be lacquer. It's going to look lacquer. And you're going to think, wow, God has been faithful to me for so many years. Look at this. Wonderful, wonderful. And others are going to be more in the category of the sawn in two. I mean, that doesn't happen that much in Bloberg, I don't think. But it happens in parts of the world. We have brothers and sisters who would call themselves faithful followers of Jesus, who we're going to spend eternity with, who are paying with their lives for their faith in Jesus. Now. Now. It's happening at the moment. And here we sit in comfort. And I'm not making us feel bad about our comfort. You, we, we can't engineer persecution. I'm not saying we should feel bad because it's easy for us here. But this is the reality. Is God more faithful to us or to them? Well, the testimony of the witnesses is that he's faithful no matter how your life turns out. So don't question his faithfulness just because you're struggling, just because it's hard. You don't get to choose. We don't get to choose, guys. And the complexity of the scriptures is that God will glorify himself in and through your life in a way that in his sovereign wisdom is right and fit and good. He doesn't owe us answers. He doesn't owe us reasons, justifications. He doesn't have to apply for your permission to do anything. He is God and he does what he wants. But he's also our father. You know, if you can hear that and you can be scared of him, say, God, holy cow, I don't want to be part of this thing. Next thing you know, I end up being one of the sword in two people. I'm not up for that. If you just lean in the sovereignty of God, you'll be scared of him because he can do whatever he wants with your life. That's why the Bible holds two things in tension. They say he is sovereign. God does not need your permission. He does whatever he wants. But on this side, God is a father. And he's adopted you. And he loves you. And we hold those two things in tension. God, you can do whatever you want, but you always act as a faithful father. And somehow those things are together. And unless you bring those things theologically together, you'll live in fear that the God who can do whatever he wants with your life is going to mess with you. He's going to intervene. He's going to stuff things up. And whatever path you're on, he's been vindictive because he's got all the control. But guys, he loves us. And the Bible says he will never, ever stop doing good to those that he loves. Didn't say he's always going to be doing nice. It says he's always been doing good 
to those that he loves. The last thing he's faithful is to see us all the way home. To see us all the way home. Isn't this wonderful? I'm going to read another passage from 1 Peter chapter 1 for you. This is a slightly longer one, but it's glorious for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. I'm gonna remind you of that in verse five. You are being guarded by God's power through faith. Might feel like you've got a bit of a flimsy faith this morning. Truth of the Bible, the witnesses remind us, God's power is guarding your faith. Jesus said what? No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. Guys, you didn't start this. Jesus says, they, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I know that like in some Christian circles, you'll hear that like, you know, you gave your heart to Jesus, you know, when, you went, when God took hold of you and he resurrected you and he made you his, he adopted you, he justified you, he, all those complicated theological words. He kicked this off and the encouragement of the scriptures is because he started it, he's a finisher and he's gonna get you all the way home. How's he gonna do that? Well, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. Romans 8 verse 34 says he lives to intercede for us. Hebrews reminds us he, always, he lives to always make intercession for us. And if you've heard this quote, you're probably familiar with it, a quote from old Scottish preacher Robert Murray McChain. He said this, if I could hear, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a million enemies. But distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Imagine this morning you could hear Jesus. Where's the chair? No chairs here. Sitting on the side here in front of Raj. Jesus is sitting here. Imagine you could hear him muttering prayers for you. Maybe they're loud. He's praying for Raj. I love this guy. I love him. He's mine. Lord, would you bless him? Would you strengthen him? Praying for Wayne. Jesus, that's what the, I'm not making this up, this is what the Bible says, that Jesus lives to pray for you. There might not be anybody else that you know praying for you, and you may have given up on praying for yourself, because we can be like that a bit as Christians, we can forget to pray regularly. You may have given up on praying for yourself, I wanna remind you this morning that Jesus lives to pray for you, and his prayers are always answered with a yes. 
He has his father's face. He has his father's ear. Everything Jesus asks for is a yes. And he, my friends, is praying you all the way home. Your faith will not fail because there is one who intercedes for you even when you aren't interceding for yourself. The last thing that these witnesses remind us of is that he's waiting for us. We see it again and again in Hebrews 11. It says, that, it says two things. It says they're waiting. They don't have yet what was promised to them. They're sort of like in, this, in the state of waiting and they were waiting for the, for the coming of Jesus. They're like pre the cross. They're waiting for Jesus to come as the Messiah and yet we're this side of the Messiah coming. And so you would think, no, we're not waiting anymore, but we are, aren't we? I'm, I'm waiting. We're all waiting. As new covenant people, we're waiting we're waiting for Jesus to come back again. That's what he said. I'm coming back. And when I come back next time, I'm going to sort this all out. The kingdom will come in its full and final and glorious fullness. The, the sons of God will be revealed. The kingdom will come in all of its fullness. But until then, we're waiting. We're waiting. And while, while we wait, uh, while we wait, we can be reminded that he's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. That's what the witnesses say. He, he, he's waiting for us. And he's waiting very briefly with two things. Words and rewards. Words and rewards. When we see him, when we see him one day, he's going to look at you in the eyes, and you know what he's going to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. Let's go and joy. Let's go and have a party. I don't know if he's going to use that exactly, but uh, I would be happy if he used the word joy. Uh, he gave it to us. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. The work is all done. And now for all eternity, we're just going to worship and party and feast and sing. Well done. He's waiting with words. Guys, whatever you're going through now, no matter how hard it is, you need to keep your eyes and your minds on the words that Jesus will speak over your life and to your face. Because it's going to be, I think, I don't know if we're going to be able to stand when he does that. I, I, I've thought about this. I've played it through with this kind of sanctified imagination, and I cannot wait to hear those words. Well done good and faithful servant. He's waiting with words and he's waiting with our reward. The scriptures are not shy to speak about reward. They say, hey, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful because there's a reward that side. I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like, but the Bible makes it clear that it's gonna outweigh anything we've suffered here. Not that God owes us anything. He doesn't owe us anything, but that's in the kindness of God. He said, I will reward you. And I, I can't imagine what it's like, but it's just going to be glorious. We need to live with more of heaven on our minds, guys. You know, do you know that phrase, um, too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good? Have you heard that phrase? Have you ever met anyone, any, met anyone like that? I've, ne I've never met anyone who's so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. I, I meet a lot of people who give heaven never a thought and they're of no earthly good, but I've never met anyone who is just heart and mind set on eternity and Jesus, the reigning risen Christ, and on God and the future kingdom coming, that they're of no earthly good. I don't know any people like that, and I want to encourage you to set your heart and your minds afresh again this morning on eternity. 
That's where we're going, where we'll be with Him. I think it changes us. It makes us of more earthly good when our hearts and our minds are set on eternity. I want to end this morning by speaking to some of you who feel like you have uh, weak knees, weak legs. The guys who make it onto the highlights reel of comrades, you know, you're the ones who are running a bit squiff there, staggering, struggling. I don't want to make light of it. I've been a pastor long enough to know that when God provokes something in my own heart, I should pay attention to it. I want to read it from Isaiah 40 to you this morning. And friends, I, I want to encourage you to be honest with God and to be honest with yourself around the state of your soul. How, how, how vitally and vibrantly you're running this morning. There's no A team, there's no B team. I have struggled to run faithfully after Jesus through this COVID season. It's been the toughest time of my life to be a Christian and even tougher to be a pastor. I've had to go into a long period of counseling, dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that God raised up in my life. Guys, if you are struggling, we, you and I are in the same WhatsApp group. I'm not the expert, I'm not a professional, I'm a fellow Jesus follower and I want, you to, I want to point you to him because the one thing I have learned and I'm learning and I'm leaning on with everything that's in me is that he is faithful and he has a grace and a strength for me and for you that nothing else touches. Guys, you don't need a holiday, you don't need your circumstances to change, you don't even necessarily need a financial breakthrough. You need the empowering, sustaining grace of God to wash over your life like waves that just batter your soul until you are refreshed and satisfied in Him and strengthened to walk with joy, even in the midst of all kinds of chaos that may persist in your life and may end in great difficulty, like some of the witnesses remind us. God remains faithful to you. But I think there is something, as the scriptures remind us, particularly in Isaiah 40, that when we wait on God, he does renew us. He renews our strength so that you can keep running. And some of you are young, some of you are not so young. It doesn't matter about the age. What is the condition of your soul? How strong are you running in him? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. I'm, I'm a visitor, I'm a guest here. I don't know how you normally do things here, but I would love to encourage you this morning. I'm gonna ask the musicians, at our church, we often end a service just by sitting and waiting on the Lord and say, hey, Lord, we don't want to, you know, I've probably taken too long. 
And everyone's got stuff on a Sunday. We tell our guys, like, Sunday can wait. When your soul needs something from the Lord and the Lord's moving, Sunday can wait a few minutes for the Lord to meet with you and to speak and to strengthen. God works suddenly and slowly. God only has two speeds of working, suddenly and slowly. And normally he works slowly. And we pray that on Sundays, God, you would work suddenly, that there would be a rush of your grace and your help and your strengthening power into our lives this morning. And friends, I wanna encourage you, I know it's not for everyone, but if you feel like your legs are wobbling or your, your heart needs more faith and more grace than you currently enjoy, you just feel maybe like tapping out, maybe you feel like Christianity has been too tough, following Jesus faithfully has just been too hard. And you're thinking this morning of just dialing it back a bit, not getting too into this compromising on different things because it's too costly. I want to encourage you again this morning that he's worthy, that he has grace for you, that he is faithful and he's waiting for you. And I want to encourage you not to leave, not to go and have coffee until you have done your own business with the Lord, that he's strengthened you, that you felt a fresh infusing of God's power and mercy over your life so you can keep running. Guys, there's too much at stake for us to tap out. God, Jesus is praying for you this morning. I'm gonna pray for you, but he's praying for us. And I encourage us just to, I'm gonna hand over to Roger, I encourage us to just respond to what he's doing in your life. If you're flying, thank him for the grace you're enjoying. And if you're struggling, reach out to him. Maybe you wanna just posture yourself, say, Lord, you need to fill me, you need to come towards me, you need to help, because it's tough and my knees are buckling. Would you come and help me this morning? Let me pray for us. Father, in your extravagant kindness, you're always better to us than we deserve. You always give more than we need. And I pray for, I pray for us this morning, and I pray for my, my friends here this morning. Thank you that you see us you know us, we don't have to pretend with you, we don't have to perform, you know the condition of our souls this morning, and you long as our good Father to come and breathe new life and grace and power over us. I pray that you would strengthen my friends who are struggling this morning, I pray that you would strengthen those who just feel their weakness limping along and pour out the Spirit upon us as we wait on you. It causes us to run and not be faint, to soar with the eagles. We don't earn anything from you. We don't have to twist your arm. We don't have to pry things out of your hand. You're the Father who loves to give. And I pray that you would give to us grace and strength and power because you love us and we're held in your hands. band's going to lead us in a song, but I just want to just not rush. I love Doug's word. We're not going to rush in the sense of just sit and pray. Do business with Jesus, and, and we do this from time to time. We stand 
and sing along as we feel almost like the standing is a fresh faith that, that God takes you. <laughs> almost imagine Jesus, the one who's praying for you, walks and he, he picks you up. He says, come sing with me. And, and as you completed your business that you're doing with God, stand and sing. But let's just let God individually work with us as we just pray. Maybe you want to close your eyes again and just just ruminate, face the stuff. It's so good. I'm so grateful to Doug. And, and just the band are going to sing. And some of us are ready. You're going, come, I'm here. I'm ready. Whatever this holds, Jesus, I'm here. And others are going, I'm still, I'm still praying. I'm still taking time. And let's, I trust by the end, we're mostly standing and, and trusting God with our lives. But just use this time. And uh, the band are going to lead us. So let's do that and trust Jesus to keep working.